Um, what was it for you? Was it the open hand? The uh, big kitchen spoon? The uh, paddle with holes in it? The uh, cheese grater? That sounds dicey, but some of you got it. Was, uh, was it the, the timeout dunce chair? Right? The infamous belt, anyone? The old uh, fishing rod? Um, the spatula? What was the uh, form of uh, discipline when you were growing up? For me, uh, my parents had very odd uh, parental tactics. Very odd ways of disciplining me. Uh, one of my... Uh, most horrible taste that I've ever tasted in my mouth is a cottage cheese. I think it's uh, Satan's food. I think he's made it. And um, have you guys had it? It's like the consistency is horrible. It tastes incredibly gross. It makes me throw up in my mouth now as I talk about it. Just like little curds of old milk is nasty. And, and I didn't like it as a kid. But one day my mom said, listen, um, here's the deal, Mark. Today for lunch you're going to eat cottage cheese. Well, I already had a deep affinity against it. I already hated it. And I think that was the point. I'm not sure. But she said, today for lunch, you're going to eat cottage cheese, boy, a son, whatever she called me. And, um, well, at some point in the morning, I uh, had to grab some, uh, some juice from the refrigerator. And as I opened the refrigerator, uh, conveniently located uh, in front of, uh, behind the cottage cheese, rather, was the juice. And so I thought to myself, self, if I uh, just, you know, make this, this, this exit here of the juice just right, maybe, just maybe, by a darn shame, the cottage cheese will fall on the floor, right? And, um... And so sure enough, I go in for the juice, and oh no, look at that, the bottom of the juice hit the cottage cheese, boom, cottage cheese all over the floor, score Yahtzee for me. Um, problem was, uh, my mom came in the room, and she sees the cottage cheese, knows my affinity against it. Um, being the wise parent, she uh, somehow in her brilliant mind put two and two together, and I'm kind of watching her, she's not saying anything to me, she's just kind of moseying around the kitchen, and she heads for the silverware drawer. And uh, so I'm kind of like wondering what's going on. I'm starting to kind of, you know, clean up the cottage cheese. And, um, and she, she, she turns and she hands me a spoon. And uh, she says, uh, she, she says go, go ahead, you're going to eat every one of those little cottage cheese kernels. Well, that wasn't the bad thing. The bad thing was we had a dog at the time. And, um, and maybe this is why I, I don't like uh, dogs at all. But um, the dog, uh, it, it lost its hair. What are they, they? It shed its hair. So every, like just about every bite of the cottage cheese was um, mingled in it like dog hair. And um, so I was like eating this nice little concoction of cottage cheese and dog hair um, as a form of, uh, I guess, discipline. It still scars me. Uh, thankfully, my mom never made me eat uh, any more cottage cheese. I literally haven't had it since that day. So praise God for that. Um, <laughs> On another instance, my father, on the other hand, he had a little bit different tactic. Uh, still remember this. I'm not quite sure what I did uh, this particular time. I was a bit of a crazy kid, still a little bit crazy. Um, kind of would, uh, would do some things that were somewhat obnoxious. Uh, I know I've shared the story a few times, um, but as a kid, I was an entrepreneur as well. And I started this thing in my neighborhood called Rabbit Busters. It was soon after Ghostbusters had come out. And I noticed that there was a rabbit population issue in my neighborhood, And so I kind of formed this gang, four or five of us, and basically what we would do is we would take baseballs, run around the neighborhood, and throw them at rabbits. Um, 
Unfortunately, we never killed a rabbit, hit a small kid once, and it may be that this was that punishment. I'm not sure, but regardless, I remember the time my dad uh, said for whatever I had done, he said, son, um, you know, I want you to, to get on your knees there and, uh, you know, put your hands on the bed, you know, kind of like police officer style. And for those of you that ever had to get the belt, like the sound is ringing in your ear right now. As my dad, like, you know, the buckle, and you heard it, and you're like, no, not the belt, right? And then, like, you heard it, like, go through the loops, right? And then just to, like, build up the drama, because there was no, you know, tape player playing some, you know, dramatic music in the background, he would, like, pop it a couple times, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, your, your eyes are closed, so the worst part was, like, the, the rising tension of when is it going to hit, you know? Like, I'm not quite sure, and, you know, sure enough, I would get a couple lashings, Right? And uh, so my parents had very different modes and methods. I would imagine many of you did as well. I realize when we start talking about discipline, unfortunately, um, that there's been some of you that, that that instantly brings up a harsh reality of your past. I know that um, stats would tell me that in this room alone that there were many uh, where the discipline from your parents went way too far. Or the church enacted some church discipline on you and it felt more like church hatred. For many of us, discipline has a very, very negative tone. And for those things, the things that have been done um, incorrectly and inappropriately to you in the name of discipline, as we're getting into this teaching tonight, I just want to say I'm sorry. I wish I could make it go away. I wish that the pain, the regret from those instances done in the name of discipline could just be gone and erased out of your memory. Unfortunately, I know that they're maybe etched in there. I do believe there's healing in that. And maybe a piece of that healing tonight is by learning what right, proper discipline is. This is a very interesting topic. In fact, in all of my memory of our six and a half years as a church, we've never hit this. That's why we preach verse by verse, because we come to a text tonight from Hebrews 12, where we're going to hit discipline right head on. So I invite you guys to open your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. I was sharing with the guys uh, beforehand, my heart uh, is very, very full. Uh, Matt and I have been leading at Christian High School all week. They're spiritual emphasis week. It's my ninth, uh, ninth year doing it in a row. Love it. It's a great opportunity to see God uh, move, uh, in this case amidst uh, 600 teenagers or so. And uh, today had lunch with an individual who a few weeks ago... Uh, when we ended Hebrews 11, had come up to me and just said, hey, I want to know Jesus. Got to hear his story today. We're going to baptize him next Wednesday. Um, it's clear to me that God is moving drastically around these parts right now. And I'm just asking you, even as we get into the text tonight, like to keep praying that he'll keep moving in crazy ways. Because right now, it feels like everywhere I turn, people are turning to the Lord. People are repenting of their sin. And people are deepening in their faith of God. It's pretty exciting. Amen. So let's uh, start here tonight in verse 5 of Hebrews uh, chapter 12. And uh, uh, I know this will seem strange to you, but we're rocking all the way to verse 11. So um, it'll take us a good three hours this evening. Here we go, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9. Besides this, 
We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'm not uh, Captain Obvious here to recognize that the theme is clearly discipline. Nine mentions of the word, right? So let's start here in these first two verses, five and six. And we're going to rock through this passage. Quote from Proverbs 3. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The problem is we have a negative tone by the word discipline because we're not quite sure what it means. I think for many of us, we think it's attributed to only punishment. problem is that's not where the Greek word is pointing us. The definition, rather, is this. Paideia is the Greek word, and it, it means instruction, nurturing, and chastening with a loving intent. So biblically, in this passage, nine mentions of the word discipline, and you'll notice that the Greek word has this massive overtone of things done with a loving intent. Heidi and I were about a year into our relationship and on one particular day over uh, Christmas break, we had gotten more physical than we should have. Thankfully, by God's grace, my wife and I were virgins when we got married. But on this particular day, the uh, making out got a little bit more intense. Uh, the kissing was too passionate, in my opinion. And we sinned, uh, unfortunately, in that, that making out. At least my heart uh, felt that way. Uh, it just so happened, and this is somewhat embarrassing, but as we were uh, kissing passionately, my s- little sister, who at that time was uh, eight or nine, walked in the room. That's somewhat awkward. Um, she then, unbeknownst to us, that's how passionate it was getting, goes up and tells my parents that, uh, hey, uh, Heidi and Mark are downstairs, and they're like, they're doing this with their mouths. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been humbled in that way before, but anyway, it was amidst... Uh, Amidst a big a holiday tournament for me as a basketball player when I was a junior in high school, there was a recruit that had come down uh, from Michigan to watch me play. I'm not sure why he did that, but uh, he was coming down. Um, and so that whole day, I was really excited. And that had happened in the morning. And uh, I was really also excited. I was mentoring this young lad. Uh, he was a third grader. I didn't have uh, parents that cared about him. And uh, so th- we had this whole thing set up where I was going to head out to the country where he lived and picked him up and then take him to the game that night so he could watch his hero play basketball. Well, uh, I went and uh, started to head to the country. And uh, back, this was before they had this thing called GPS. Are you familiar, right? You remember days where we used to use maps, like physical ones, right? Or when people actually had to give you directions before you just called them while you're on your way. Do you remember that? I know it's a long time ago, but that was that day. And unfortunately, I got lost, very, very lost. I was out there for an hour and a half. Well, I was picking him up on my way to the game. So this isn't good. Um, Crazy thing. I pick him up, finally finally find his house, head back to the gym, and then this dense fog happens on like, it felt like just my car. Like all of a sudden, I'm over this bridge. True story. It's already dark. Our game's at 8. And this fog just drops down on my 92 Pontiac Sunfire with white racing stripes on the wheels. It was a rocking car, right? And so I remember, I remember uh, thinking to myself, like beating 
beating the, the, the power steering there, like thinking to myself, what, in, what is going on? Like I'm trying. So then I go and, and finally make it. My coach is very angry. I'm late. I miss the entire warm-up. Again, this big recruit's in to watch me play. Um, for those of you that know anything about basketball, I shot that night one for 15 from three-point land. That's not good. Okay, I'm not sure if you're a person of percentages. Uh, you would think I would have stopped shooting after eight or nine. I did not. I kept chucking and ducking. Um, play a horrible game. Again, another a crazy thing. So I take the kid back out to the country after the game. On my way back home, get lost again. I wind up on the exact same bridge I got lost at before. Finally get out of my car. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, what is going on right now, you know? And uh, so eventually I find my way home, head back to the gym because I just wanted to shoot. I was like, man, I don't, like, this recruit's never going to call me. I just need to shoot hoops. So I walk in the gym, and the janitor's there, lets me in. And up sitting in the top rafters were uh, five of my best buddies there an hour and a half after the game. They never hang there after the game. I look back on that, that season, that day, which started with this... Um, this massive a sin issue, at least uh, in my heart, and watched God all day long uh, discipline me, humble me, bring me to this place literally in every facet of my life. My relationship with Heidi, sister walks in, goes, tells parents, that's humbling. Get lost at my wit's end, play a horrible game, recruit never calls me again. God used this crazy day to discipline me and remind me of my sin. I share that first as an example to the definition. Is that God is doing something in our lives and all night long tonight we're going to be unpacking what that means. But when we're speaking about discipline, that's an amazing example of how this, this gets fleshed out. Are you with me? Now I want to make six points and this, the text does it for us. And the first is this. God disciplines out of love. Uh, part of parenting, for those of you that are parents, you really relate to this, and if you've ever had a parent, you'll relate to this too. They teach you, uh, not just biblically, but many authors today, that you really need to be very strategic in your discipline of your children. You need to make sure that they understand what it is that they're doing. They're sinning against God by disobeying you. And also you need to make sure that this whole time that you're disciplining them, you're reiterating the, your love for them. And um, so uh, here recently, I, I remember thinking through all this again as I had taken Dawson into the other room, as is my approach. I sat him down. I first explained to him what he had done. Um, Son, listen, I told you seven times that you can't, uh, you can't spill that cracker bowl all over your head because it gets crumbs everywhere and makes us vacuum. And you did it seven times, Right. I said, son, you've, you've disobeyed daddy, and therefore you've sinned against God. And so because of that, son, um, th- there's consequences for your sin. And, you know, I'm, you're thinking, well, how can a two-year-old understand that? And I was praying that by God's grace, he does. And so then, you know, I put Dawson over my knee, not in front of the other children, just him and I. And very lovingly spank my child, right? And then after he's beginning to cry, it's crazy, it's crazy. You would think, because you do this later when you're a teenager, you would think that like the, my two-year-old would just like run out of the room, but he doesn't. You know what he does every single time? He instantly reaches up and hugs me, and then I whisper in his ear, Daddy loves you. I forgive you. Daddy loves you. I forgive you. It's this amazing opportunity to experience, from my perspective, 
what the discipline of the Lord looks like, the motive of it. It's, it's out of love. That's how God disciplines us. We're going to make five more points tonight and begin to build on this. But I hope you understand where we're headed. Next verse says this, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? One of my favorite points all night. You've got some kids. Your kids come over to my house and your kids decide to take some paint and make a muck of all of my walls. Well, because of my responsibility to watching your children as they're at my house, I'm certainly going to spend some time correcting them. Uh, Hey, would you mind not painting on my walls? You know what I'm saying? As much as I like the combination of pink, green, and orange, it's really not befitting with the rest of our furniture, right? I will correct them. But if you came home and your son or your daughter came and said, Hey, uh, Mr. Mark or Pastor Mark uh, bent me over his knee and got his belt out and spanked me seven times, I would imagine we'd have some issues, don't you think? I would imagine you as a parent would be thinking to yourself, I'm not so sure that that was appropriate. Why? Because they're my kids. They're in your house, certainly, and unless I've given you permission, like as another family member, they're my kids. And so because they're my kids, they're mine to discipline. You can correct and certainly help them understand that they're sitting for at least this time under your authority, but if you as a parent of another person's kid begin to discipline those kids, Things get really, really hairy. The point from verse 7 is this. When God disciplines, He is treating you as a son. When God disciplines us, it is one of the greatest reminders that we are His. Are you with me? I discipline my children because they are my kids. And I know from our perspective, it seems so intense and at times like our parents are hating us. But from the other perspective, as as a parent, you know it is so most of the time loving. And this opportunity for God to discipline us is one of our greatest reminders. We are His children and our interaction with Him isn't over at salvation. Are you with me? I think many of us think, okay, I come to God, I now through Christ have relationship with God the Father, and now I just kind of do my thing, and our interaction is done. But the fact that He is continually disciplining us shows us that we are His possession. And the moments when you're beginning to question, am I a child of God, and you enter into a season where He is disciplining you, it is one of the greatest reminders that you are loved by Him and that you are His kid. Oh, to have that perspective. Oh, to have that mentality as we're going through our lives that feel like chaos or even hurt and pain at times, wondering, God, what are you doing? Just like I said outside my car, why me? Why now? He's treating you as a son. I love the fact that we're his possession. Amen. Verse, not, or verse 8 says this. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I don't mean to ask this question in a judging way because I know many of you will have instantly people come to your mind. But what does a kid look like that has not been disciplined? There's kind of two different spectrums of them. The first are the abused or the ignored. We all know kids that um, friends of ours, maybe growing up or uh, parents that you may know of in the community or people that you're around, 
that their parents abused them or ignored them. And you know that when you're around them, most often, there's this crazy deep-rooted pain. And you know that typically what those folks do, what those kids do, is they're looking for love in, as the song goes, all the wrong places. Looking for love, comfort, any kind of authority in their life because their parents didn't provide it. It's so hurtful, isn't it, when you meet kids like that? As a parent, isn't it? Isn't it kind of discouraging at times when you feel like maybe you've, you've gone a season, maybe a day, maybe a week, ignoring your children and trying to question in your mind what's that, what, what that's showing them, how they'll turn out because of it? Of course, the other side of the lack of discipline are the spoiled. Did you know of any of those of folks growing up, right? It's like the kids that um, get anything they want. The kids that in high school, uh, that the parties are at their house and their parents are over on the leather couch drinking too. Their parents were more interested in befriending their kids than leading them and disciplining them. And so they were the cool parents and that was the cool house to hang out at. And then you know what happened to those kids. Like how often did, did that parental and kid relationship end well where the kid became a person of integrity, right? So a kid without discipline, it's pretty much chaos. So what the scripture says here in verse 8, next point, is the lack of discipline in one's life makes them illegitimate. Well, uh, the writer here is specifically talking about a child from a prostitute or a child, from, uh, the, a child that's out of wedlock. They're a kid that, that's, that's got no home. They're a kid that's completely illegitimate. In other words, what the writer is saying is we need discipline. A kid who's been abused or ignored or a kid who's been spoiled is the lack of discipline, and that creates in one's life this deep-rooted sense of, I still need authority, I still need authority, I still need authority. And the discipline of the Lord is the reminder that the authority is mine, says the Lord, right? And so any time that you're being disciplined, and again, we're going to flesh that out the more we go on tonight, it's the constant reminder that you're His Son, that you're loved, and that discipline is good. Verse 9 says this, Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? It's uh, so interesting how quickly um, our weaknesses as parents get exposed in times of chaos. Heidi had traveled to Ecuador. By the way, we're a month away now from uh, the team that's going to Ecuador. 29 of us really excited about that. Uh, but Heidi had uh, gone on the last trip last October, which meant I had all three of our riffraff for a week. Uh, it was really fun, really encouraging most of the time. And uh, there was this one particular day where my patience was running thin. And I just given the, the, the kids a bath. The bath, by the way, is a phenomenal parental move of like, you know, like taking some time. You know what I'm saying? Because my kids love the bath. They think it's a pool in a smaller version, so they could stay in there all day. Uh, one time I tried, they came out with like prune, you know, prune hands like down to their elbows. Anywho, um, this one particular time, I, you know, I, I'm having to get all three kids out and get them downstairs. And of course, they're complaining because it's cold. So I'm like turning the heater up. Anyway, chaos. And I, I, I wrap Dawson in a towel and I say, son, listen, I'm going to be down in one minute. OK, I need you to meet me downstairs. He says, OK. And um, and so I, I get um, Maddox, or I call him Dadu, so I get Dadu's going, and, and then Avery downstairs. Well, I come down, and Dawson, I noticed that his towel was left in the kitchen, which is on the way downstairs, which means he's downstairs uh, with no clothes on. 
And um, so I was already frustrated because I told him to go downstairs, wait for daddy, you know. And so I go down and I notice that he's, you know, running around naked, which is a pretty typical thing in our house for my children. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, so I tell him, son, I need you to come here. I need you to come over to daddy because I need to put your diaper on because I know what's going to happen if I don't, right? And so he like keeps running around. I'm like, son, I need you to come here now before. And so then I see him like I was just waiting for it. He kind of like marks his territory like a cat or a dog. And just like, you know, just lets go right there. You know what I'm saying? Smiling at me the whole time. Like, like I'm going to be proud of him, right? That he's properly urinating on my carpet. I, I, and, and seriously, it exposes our weaknesses as parents very quickly in times like that. I'd like to say that I've always disciplined my children appropriately, and that time was not one of them. Kind of gotten to my wit's end, grabbed him, took him in the, the, the bedroom, just like I always did. Did the whole routine, but in my heart, I knew I was disciplining him out of anger. I didn't abuse him, I didn't hurt him. I did exactly the same routine, but in my heart, I knew that I was angry. Parents ever done that before? Once or thrice? Now, this, the, the text says that we have had earthly fathers that have disciplined us, and we respected them for that. It's true. But the back end of this verse is what's really encouraging to me. And the point that I want to make from this in verse 9 is our earthly fathers disciplined us, therefore God's discipline is worth much more. Here's why. His discipline is always out of love, never out of anger. He's consistent. I know that when I'm disciplined by Him, that I never have to fret that God will do to me what I've done to my children before. I'm fallible. I've made mistakes. I've gotten too angry and too frustrated, but not God. He disciplines appropriately every single time with the bigger picture in mind. And I know always that His motive will be love. And I just want to pull back now and say this. One of my favorite scriptures and pieces of God's character is the fact that He's a father to the fatherless. And this is that reminder to me. I don't care what your dad was like. I don't care how much you felt like he loved you. I don't care how much you felt like he encouraged you. I wish all of our dads were perfect. I wish I was too. But we can say this, he's perfect. We can say this, he's not leading you astray. That's why the scripture is clear over and over and over about that piece of the the trinity and the character of God that he's a father to the fatherless. And I love the fact that his rebuke and his discipline and his love and his encouragement with me is 100% consistent all the time. He reiterates this point in the next text. He says this in verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best uh, to them. But he disciplines uh, for our good that we may share in his holiness. We discipline for a very short time and often question why told you guys a story before, uh, at least uh, for some of you, you've heard this, but when I was in seventh grade, I was dating a girl named Kylie Pebble, and um, my parents weren't too fond of that. She kind of had a reputation in the town, and um, I just thought she was pretty hot. And so, um, in some poor judgment, I decided to go on a date with her, asked her to go to the seventh grade dance, 
uh, being the romantic, I asked her if we could meet at McDonald's beforehand. And, um, and then before we went to the dance, my very first kiss ever happened behind the McDonald's dumpster uh, with Kylie Pebble. Again, call me a romantic, I know. How many of you can say your first kiss happened by the McDonald's dumpster? Anyone? Nope? Okay. And I remember coming home and I had hid the relationship from my parents. And, uh, but I felt, you know, kind of this excitement about my first kiss. So I came home and told my parents, Hey, uh, so listen, I, I kissed Kylie Pebble tonight. And they had told me not to date her. Pre- Excuse me? You did what? Yeah, I, kiss, I kissed her. You know, and I was feeling kind of like macho. You know, oh yeah. Like I kissed her and then I danced with her and then I kissed her again, you know. And they looked at me and uh, I've, I don't remember as a kid ever feeling this angry, but they said, you're going to break up with her tomorrow. And I was just like, that's not how it goes. You don't kiss and then break up. Like that's not typically protocol for relationships. Like I had no perspective, right? They were looking at the situation out of a tr- tremendous amount of love and care for me. And all I saw was the fact that I was in a relationship with a girl, which at that moment in time was gleaning me some popularity. And I said, you're going to break up with her tomorrow. And so I literally had to go to her. I think I actually wrote a note and gave it to a friend and then had the friend deliver it. <laughs> Still did that when I was a sophomore, breaking up with girls, right? <laughs> now you guys just break up on Facebook. You know, I'm not in a relationship anymore. What? I thought we were, no. Anyway. (laughs) Point I want to make is this from a verse 10. God disciplines us for holiness sake. He sees the bigger, he sees the bigger picture. What seems to us is something that would be so hurtful or painful. Actually, what God's saying is, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm disciplining you for a reason, for a purpose. And that purpose is to make you more like my son, Jesus. That's why I'm disciplining you. The motive is love. I'm treating you as a son. And guess what? I'm making you more holy. That was, for me, Kylie Pet. I mean, my parents, that's what, they were completely concerned about that for me. They wanted me to seek the Lord, not my flesh. They saw the greater perspective. I didn't. I love the fact that we serve a God who is sovereign and who has a phenomenal perspective. I know often we're not willing to admit that. I know often we would rather just sit back and think that our perspective is better. Let me remind myself and you, His is much greater. His eyes, His sense, His knowledge, His omnipotence and omniscience for those of you who are theological is much greater than any of us can even begin to imagine or in the case pronunciate, right? He closes with this in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The thought is, is that as a parent, eventually, though for a while my son will have to, and I I keep saying my son, I certainly discipline Avery and Maddox as well. I don't mean to keep uh, penciling in Dawson into that slot though he finds himself there often. Um, The thought is is that eventually, as I'm training my children in the way of the Lord by God's grace, though they will have to endure some pain for now, because I have the greater perspective as the parent, eventually they'll wind up on the other side 
thanking me. Have you as a kid ever gone back to your parents and thanked them for the ways that they, they raised you? And again, I know that that's not the case in the room because some of you, your parents, you would say neglected you or abused you or it didn't seem like they loved you. But for me, uh, actually after a sermon five weeks ago, called both of my parents and thanked them. Maybe you'll remember the teaching. I was talking about living the adventure and I said one of the greatest things my parents ever did for me was affirm my calling in the Lord and let me live and experience the adventure. I called them both. And I said, thank you for the way you raised me. I didn't say thank you specifically for Kylie Pebble, but I said thank you for the ways that you raised me. Because I know you had the greater perspective. I know you saw things differently. Just like God did on the bridge that night. Like the perspective is, if I, if I let you go unhumbled, then maybe the intense making out will cause you and Heidi to make further mistakes. Maybe if I don't humble you, maybe you'll start thinking that you're the best thing since sliced bread as it, as it pertains to basketball players in a small town. Maybe if I don't do a work in your heart, your ego will grow so big that you'll forget the fact that I've called you into ministry and I've told you to serve and not be served. And so as I sit there on that bridge and think about it now, God, in his love, treating me as a son, disciplined me. Now, there's a huge can of worms that's opened when I say that. And the question is this, how do I know it's God? I know some of you are very quick to blame things on Satan. You lose a parking spot, it's Satan. It rains on the day, that's the enemy. It's the devil, I promise. Right? Some of you find Satan under every rock. And so my big question is, how do we know the discipline is actually from God and not from the enemy? How do we know where to pin the blame? How do we know where judgment comes from? I know this for sure. Have you guys ever moved before? One of the most frustrating things about moving is the labeling process. And especially when you have family members moving with you, okay? And they mislabel a box, right? There is nothing more frustrating than like getting to your room because you're ready to go to sleep that night and get all your stuff out. And you realize that someone had marked the kitchen box master bedroom, right? And so not only did they mislabel it, but now you're going to have to carry all the heavy dishes back down to the kitchen and then somehow go through every box to find the fact that all these sheets are, are, are somewhere, right? It's one of the most frustrating things when there's a mislabeled box, I feel like we mislabel things that are going on in our life all the time. We're quick to throw out labels, aren't we? And we're really quick with others. Someone's going through a situation. We've heard about the situation all of 30 seconds. Oh, man, that sounds sounds like the enemy to me, you know? Because it, it sounds more spiritual or something to claim some spiritual warfare comment. Dude, I think that sounds like Satan right there, you know? Well, what do you mean? I, it just does. That's Satan right there. You know, the, to- the tail, the whole thing. Like, he's all up in that situation, you know? <laughs> so how do we not mislabel something? How do we get it right? How are we able to see when the discipline is coming? It's interesting to note that this whole passage has been about the motive, isn't it? That God's motive in disciplining us is what is love quick note do you ever see in the scripture the motive of love attributed to the enemy no scripture says things like this he's prowling around 
like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He has come to steal, kill, and what else? Does that sound loving to you? Also, let me make one other statement. We believe here that God is sovereign, that He sits on the throne, that He ultimately is in control of all that's happening. That nothing is happening out of the control of God. That's what we believe about His sovereignty. Nothing surprises God. Are you with me? He's never looking down saying, oh, I wasn't sure that that was going to happen. No. He is fully in control. So even the things that Satan does, listen, he has been allowed to do those things for a period of time by God. Ergo, Job's story, and I don't have time to go in the whole thing. But Satan had to go and ask permission of God to inflict these things on Job. God is in control, not Satan. And so as I'm going through situations in my life, like the car on the bridge, though instantly I'm quick to say, Satan, what are you doing with me? Why are you messing with me? The problem is the Holy Spirit is in me. And that whole instance surely didn't feel like hatred. It surely didn't feel like I was being proud and that someone was trying to devour me. It certainly felt like I was being disciplined. I was being humbled, pushed back a second, saying, listen, you need to humble yourself. And so how do we know, my friends, when it's the Lord? The Lord's discipline will always come in the form of love. And when you have the Holy Spirit in you, guided through His Word and through communion with Him in prayer, my friends, the motive is much easier seen. And so then we're able to sit back and say, God, I bet, I bet you're disciplining me. And we're finally able to start labeling things appropriately and seeing them for what they are. Because when you label that as Satan, what, what do you do? You just get angry and you get frustrated and you don't turn to the Lord often. So I look at these six things. Um, well, first, my point from verse 11 is this. We must endure the pain of discipline now to reap the fruit later. There's something coming. As I look at this, uh, these six things, uh, next slide, I kind of pull back a little bit from all this. And I start thinking to myself, that's pretty incredible. Those things are, are pretty amazing. As a kid, I would never go to my dad and say, Dad, can I please have another I never, as a kid, maybe you did, asked for more discipline. Did you? I never sat back and said, hey, uh, mom and dad, listen. This whole discipline thing, I don't think you're bringing it to me enough. Like, I need some more of that, right? Can we sit down? Can we have some more talks? No, in my 13-year-old, often fleshly-driven perspective, all I saw typically was my selfish desires, though they saw something greater. I was rarely saying, Dad, give me some more. But I look at that and I say, please bring on the discipline. I look at that list and I'm like, don't stop disciplining me. Keep humbling me. Keep pushing me back in my seat. Keep reminding me that this sin needs to be purged out of my life so that I can be holy as you are holy. The question is, are we willing to pray that God would discipline us knowing that he may do whatever it takes? Are you willing to look at that list and leave here tonight 
and say, God, please discipline me and even name specific issues. Been struggling with this sin and God, honestly, I think I'm going to keep struggling with this until you intervene and not just heal my heart, but discipline for me because of it. I know your motive is love. I know in it you're going to be treating me as a son. I know you see the bigger perspective. I know your pursuit of all of this is my holiness and your glory. So God, please cut me at my knees. And all of a sudden we become children begging for more discipline. Though culturally and as we were growing up, we never thought we would utter the words. So the question is, is it that important to you? Is becoming more like Jesus really your interest? Or are we all in this for some other game or motive or intent? Stand with me, would you guys? I start to think about walking Avery down the aisle one day. I know many of you dads have had to do that. It's a daunting task, I would imagine. She's my only daughter. And some guy is going to walk in my house sometime. You better be a good one, right? I'm going to show them the gun collection I don't own, but I'll tell them I have one. <laughs> and then one day I'll walk her down the aisle. And what I would long to hear in those moments, maybe even as we're walking down the aisle, is, Dad, you've done a good job. I know you were failed and flawed. And I know at times you made mistakes. But you loved me well. I fear that I don't tell my Father God that enough. You've loved me well. You've disciplined me well. And God, I just want to say thank you for being the consistent, amazing father that I long to be. So maybe that's what we tell him tonight. And we're thankful. God, I pray that, um, that we would welcome the discipline that we would understand, God, that in our pain at times that you're doing a tremendous work. God, please help us see things from your perspective as much as we can. And mostly, God, tonight we just say thank you. Thank you for loving us well, God.